What are the essential steps to sell your business successfully? How do you ensure that if you are selling your business, it is successful? Let's talk about those steps. And before we get to those, let's talk about the big risks that we're concerned about. We're concerned about if you're a seller, do you actually get full payment for your business? It's one thing to have a contract that says you're going to get paid a certain amount. It's another thing for that money to actually end up in your pocket. Business buyers will often promise payments, but we want to make sure that you actually get those. And so that's my number one concern as an attorney representing a seller of a business. The second concern is is there a potential for a lawsuit from the seller later who has regrets about buying it? It is actually fairly common for a buyer of a business to have regrets and to say the business isn't as good as I was told it was. And that is so common that there are standard provisions that attorneys will put into documents for selling a business that say exactly what information a seller received about the business. And often there will be a list of all the risks that the business has and have been disclosed to the buyer. What you don't want is a buyer of a business to say, you sold me a business and you didn't tell me about this risk and the financial information you gave me was inaccurate. It wasn't as profitable as you made it out to be, et cetera, et cetera. And then to have that buyer essentially as a claim for fraud or misrepresentation. And now you as a business owner are trying to defend a lawsuit. The reality is many times a business doesn't do as well under a buyer because the buyer doesn't have the same skills and experience that the business seller had. But buyers often do not acknowledge their own contribution to the failure of the business. Buyers think they're actually smarter than the seller. They're really good at business. It's not their fault things went bad. It's the seller's fault. So having financial disclosures and risk disclosures are another important part of selling that. So now that we have in mind the important concerns for the seller of a business, let's talk about the steps it takes to sell the business. Step one is typically having a confidentiality agreement or a non-disclosure agreement signed by the buyer before there's any sort or potential buyer before there's any exchange of information. Step two is exchanging some information with the buyer. Not all of it, but enough for the buyer to kind of kick the tires and figure out, is this a business I'm really interested in? And then you may have a discussion about what additional information does the buyer need one thing the buyer might ask for is the buyer might say, I'd like to have a conversation with key employees of the business. Here's the issue there. First off, it makes perfect sense that a buyer would want to know, are the key employees going to stick around? But if the buyer has a conversation with those key employees and then doesn't buy the business, does that create some instability or insecurity among the employees? Does the fact that the business owner is considering selling the business affect the culture or morale or temperature of the company. 
And so often there will be discussions about what context will there be for the buyer to ask questions. For example, maybe the buyer will say, we'll have conversations with the business owner present, or maybe they'll be without the business owner present. And they'll talk about what's more appropriate there. The context for that conversation may not be, hey, I'm looking at buying a business and I want to know if you're going to stick around. Rather, it might be, um, we're having discussions about the growth of the company and the possibility of me becoming an investor. By the way, that's true. Buyers are investors in a company. And so the buyer would like to have conversations with the important employees. You've been identified as one of those important employees. Would you be open to having a conversation with this potential investor? That's typically only done shortly before actually closing a deal. And often it isn't done because often sellers are not comfortable with the buyer having those sorts of discussions. So you have this period where there's an exchange of information. Typically what's happening during that time as well is that there is an effort to line up financing, whether it be from a bank, through an SBA loan, or some other means. Often within this period, there is either a purchase agreement signed or a letter of intent. Let's talk about what those look like. A purchase agreement basically says, I will buy the business contingent on some additional steps of due diligence. And then there's a going to be a closing date on a specific date. And by that date, all these steps will be done and financing will be lined up and the deal will close. For example, that's typically how it's handled with a real estate transaction. A person signs a purchase agreement for the purchase of a home, but the closing date is scheduled further out because a lot of stuff has to be done in the meantime. There needs to be an inspection of the home, the mortgage needs to be lined up, etc. So that's one approach. Sometimes that's called a two-step transaction. Another approach is where you simply have the closing or the transaction, the actual purchase, occur on a certain day, and you have a letter of intent signed in advance. A letter of intent typically is non-binding, but it can have portions that are binding or can be an actual contract. I have a separate video on that, and so we will put in the description section below a link to the video I created on letters of intent, how they work and what their limitations are. But if you have a letter of intent, typically it's a letter that says, here's the buyer says, here is my intention regarding buying the company. Here's what I've done so far. Here are the next steps. And essentially lays out in a non-binding manner. We have a general agreement on what those next steps are, but there isn't actually a commitment to buy the company until a formal purchase agreement is signed. You might say, how do you decide whether to have a purchase agreement with a closing date versus a letter of intent with a purchase agreement on the date the transaction occurs. Which approach is better and in which circumstances? Generally, it comes down to the size of the deal and the amount of attorney's fees the parties want to spend. In a large deal, it makes sense to do things really carefully, and that typically means then a purchase agreement initially 
and a closing date. And by the way, there might even be a letter of intent prior to that purchase agreement. And there might be a confidentiality agreement or non-disclosure agreement prior to that point. Whereas in a lower cost transaction, or let's say you're selling a business for $20,000, you don't want to spend $5,000 in legal fees. So you might say, you know what, let's just have either a letter of intent or maybe not even a letter of intent. Let's just have some discussions about what the basic terms are. And then we'll have a lawyer draft up that purchase agreement for the actual date the transaction occurs. If it's a $20,000 transaction, a person may just have that money in their bank account. Whereas if it's a $5 million transaction, typically there's going to be some sort of outside financing, either with investors or a bank. And so more of the formalities are going to be followed in that business sale. So then you have the actual closing date or the date when the transaction occurs. That may be the date when 100% of the shares transfer to the buyer. And shares is a term for corporations. In the LLC context, we call them membership interests. In a partnership, you call it partnership interests. But at the end of the day, it's the ownership. The ownership may immediately transfer on that date. But not necessarily. Many deals say ownership will transfer over time as payments are made. Or the, the deal might say, upon the final payment being made, 100% of the ownership is transferred. Another thing that usually happens as part of this transition is there's a discussion about to what extent will the seller's labor, time, and consulting be needed during a transition period to the new owner. So when a buyer takes over a business, it would be quite abrupt to have the seller stop working 100% and the buyer start taking over all duties 100%. Typically, the buyer has questions and needs some help from the seller. So there's usually discussion about to what extent will the seller provide some time, work, labor, or consulting services. For example, it might be the seller is willing to be available as much as is needed during the first week. And then up to 40 total hours for the next six months. And for that labor, the seller will be compensated as an employee of the company at a rate of whatever it is per hour, $50 per hour or whatever that looks like. Sometimes the sellers say, hey, I'll work for free for the first week or for some period of time. But often it's reasonable to have some sort of hourly wage tied to that so that the buyer values the time of the seller and doesn't just waste that time because it's essentially free. Having some hourly wage or some compensation level for what the seller is doing often makes sense, especially in a large deal, so that the seller knows they're at least being compensated something for that time and the buyer has an interest in keeping that time to only what's necessary or really useful for the company as it moves past the sale. So after that sale date, there's probably an exchange of money, there's a signing of any final documents, and then typically the seller does some services for the buyer for a little bit of time to ensure a smooth transaction. That is typically how it works when the company does well and grows, 
typically I don't hear about it. People are happy, and sometimes I've even represented buyers down the road, and there are certain ethics rules regarding that. But if the company runs into problems, that's often where attorneys get back involved and start figuring out who's liable for these problems or how are we going to work this out. There are a lot of other details I didn't cover here, like what happens if you have inventory that's fluctuating? Well, in that case, you might have to have a payment for that inventory after the sale of the business because you may not even know how much inventory is in there on that exact date. There might also be issues around how much cash is in the accounts, what is the status of accounts receivable and accounts payable, and who is getting that money or owing that money. So a lot of pieces to be worked out, but at an overhead view, that is the process for ensuring the successful sale of the company. And if all goes well, the business seller will receive full payment for the purchase price, and the business seller will also not get sued for failing to disclose a risk or any sort of information as part of that transaction. You might be asking, in light of the fact that a seller is not aware of all the financial details and couldn't possibly disclose everything, what is the seller supposed to do? Because let's face it, there are mistakes in every company's financials. What prevents a buyer from coming back later and saying, you fraudulently included certain financial information and I wouldn't have bought it if I had known about that? Well, typically what you do is say, the buyer has had access to all of the financial information in the business. And you actually give the buyer access to all the paper documents and all the computer records and basically say, hey buyer, you're welcome to come into the business for hours on end and review to your heart's content all this data. It's a massive amount of data. We're not going to give you a copy of it, but you have a right to come in and review everything to make sure that it's done to your satisfaction. You are also welcome to bring a CPA with you, paid for by you, buyer, so that the buyer has a full opportunity to review all of the financial information and details within the company. If you have other questions about things we've discussed or other legal topics or business topics, topics of importance to entrepreneurs, CEOs, and leaders running companies, please feel free to add them into the comments section below. I will use those questions to generate ideas and topics for future live Q&A sessions that you can watch right here. If you want to be alerted to the next live Q&A, you can subscribe on the YouTube channel and click notifications. You can subscribe to our newsletter to get an email update at aaronhall.com free. Or if you follow us on one of the other social media platforms, you may, if the platform allows it, get some sort of update regarding our next live Q&A. I'm Aaron Hall, an attorney for business owners and entrepreneurs. This is an educational program so that you can spot issues to discuss with your attorney, avoid common problems in companies, and hopefully enjoy the rewards of a more successful company and life. Thanks for joining today.